sort of sermon this afternoon is the Word of God, and we have summarized and confessed it in Lord's Day 14. Let's read that Lord's Day now. You can find, find it on page 529. Let's read this Lord's Prayer together. It's Lord's Day 14, something may answer us in verse 5. This is your confession. What do you confess when you say, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature in the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus, he is also the true seed of David and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What do you benefit? What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covered in the sight of God, my sin in which I was conceived and born. Thus far through the Heidelberg Catechism, on Lord's Day 13 and 14, we look at the sonship of Jesus Christ. We look at his sonship in terms of his divinity, but also in terms of his humanity. And Lord's Day 14 is focused on the sonship of Jesus as it pertains to his humanity. Now, for liberal theologians and for non-Christians, the humanity of Jesus Christ is not a problem. In fact, there is no real debate that someone named Jesus Christ existed 2,000 years ago. Even atheists will accept that. It's clear from the historical record. But what they see is a human being, and that's it. He was a popular speaker. He spoke a message about something he called the kingdom of God. He went up against uh, the powers that be, and they convicted and crucified him. He was a great man, a great teacher. He was a nice and a loving man. And what they say is that all the things that we have in Scripture, all the stories that were built up around him, all the miracles. That was myth that was built up around what they call the historical Jesus. So if you read liberal and critical commentaries, especially from about 30 to 50 years ago, perhaps even more, but in the past, for the past century, that's what the job of theologian was to do, was to demythologize Jesus Christ. It was to go through the Gospels and strip away all that was added to the historical Jesus. The job of theologian was to extract that real Jesus out of the Bible, to find the man, to get rid of the God. all of this 
find a denial of God working in hearts. God actually commands us to repent. Now, over against us, we have our confession, a confession that we have made based on the teachings of the apostles more than 2,000 years ago. And for that confession, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That confession goes against all of that. We can't have Jesus as a nice man and a good teacher when we make that confession. It can't just be that. Jesus Christ is indeed a man, and he's no less than a man, but he is, oh, so much more than any other man. He is the incarnate Son of God. Now, that word incarnate means in the flesh. We think of, of John 1.14, where the Apostle John says, the word became flesh. That's what we look at today. We look at the wonder and the mystery of the Son of God incarnate. The wonder of the incarnation is that the eternal Son of God took upon himself our human nature. We're going to see this afternoon's two things. We're going to see his incredible humiliation in doing that. And then secondly, we're going to see that his humiliation is really our only hope. So first of all, let's look at the incarnation something that was really an incredible humiliation for the eternal Son of God. We read Philippians 2 earlier, Philippians 2, verse 7, which speaks of the incarnation as being something of a humiliation. He made himself nothing, taking the very form or the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. A servant, literally a slave, Christ became, he made himself that, and that is connected to his being found in human likeness, becoming a human being. Now, why was that humiliation? Why was it humiliation for, for Jesus Christ to become like one of us? That's something, if you think about it, I mean, it would be offensive if somebody said, uh, oh, I thought you were so-and-so, and the other person was horribly offended that you would think that. How could you say that about me, that I'm like him? That's humiliation for me. But yet we say that about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made like us. So that was an act of humiliation for him. Why was that? Now before we can understand really the, the humiliation of the incarnation, we, we need to understand exactly what the incarnation, incarnation involves. And that really involves us understanding the precise identity of the one who became incarnate, and then the precise result of what happened to the one who became incarnate. Those are two huge issues for theological, theological discussion. Those two questions form the battleground for the early church over how do we understand who Jesus Christ is. Now, when we look at the identity of the one who became incarnate, we're coming up against the question of the divinity. Who exactly is the Son of God? Now, Jesus Christ is a human being. His beginning was 2,000 years ago. Before 2,000 years ago, there was no Jesus Christ. But there was someone named the Son of God. 
question that the church had to come to grips with is, who exactly is this Son of God? Who is the Word? There were deep questions about that. If He's the Son of God, was there a time when He was not? Did He always exist? Was He created? Is He equal with God? Or is he simply another creature, but just a really powerful creature? How and when did he become God? And the church had to work through all of those questions. As the church went through those questions, they determined from Scripture, looking at things like John 1, looking at Hebrews 1, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that around the eternal Son of God who became Jesus Christ. That eternal Son of God was someone who always was God. That he was the second person of the Trinity. There was never a time when he was not. He was equal to the Father in terms of his divinity. He always was God. He always was, he always is. That's the Son of God. It is precisely this Son of God, full God, fully eternal, who then became Jesus Christ. But here we come to the second question. What happened when he became a man? What happened to the eternal Son of God in his perfection? These are deep questions. Some of them may make your head spin a little. But they're questions that our forefathers had to struggle through. to the divine nature when Jesus Christ was born. Have you thought about that? What does it mean that that young woman named Mary was the Son of God conceived in her by the Holy Spirit? What did that mean, not simply for Mary, but for the Son of God? And what kind of human nature did he have? Did he have arguments was he something like a superhuman? And it's interesting, in that time, in the, in the Greek and Roman context, the idea of a superhuman, a demigod, that was not uncommon. Younger members here may be familiar with the, the book series and also the, the movie Percy Jackson. What is Percy Jackson? Quite interesting. Perseus, Greek demigod. God, or a father, and a human mother. He was a demigod. He was a powerful human being. So is that what Jesus was? A human being, but just a really strong human being? Did his divine nature undergo some sort of transformation in the incarnation? Is that what his humiliation is? that he was God, and somehow he became something different when he was born to Mary. Or, the other way is, let's leave his divinity untouched. What about his humanity? Was he truly human? Did he just appear to be human? Was his divinity untouched? Was, 
with Jesus of Nazareth, sort of this shell of a human being, and then the Son of God was put inside him. Was the divine nature so powerful that it dominated the human nature? Because in the end, you're never really a human being. We've grown up with the benefit of having the Apostles' Creed and having images and having relationship that tells the confession of Heidegger's catechism. We've grown up in the Apostles. But now imagine being 1,500 years after Christ. You're a new believer from a Greek Roman background. How do you process this? And even now, what you've been hearing me ask you, those may be questions you've never asked. Your head may be swimming a little bit. How does this work? How does the eternal Son of God become a human being? What does that mean? that we are complicated. That it's not a simple matter of dissecting Jesus of Nazareth and saying, this part is sin and this is his humanity and this is how it works. It is very easy. This is all that happens. It should be no surprise to us that the most important event in the history of humanity, God's own son became a human being, that that would be something that would not be something we could easily comprehend. That it's incredibly complicated. never fully grasp. Our forefathers never interacted with these questions. Yet with all those questions I asked, there were people 1,700 years ago, 1,800 years ago, that said yes to those questions. You even Google names like Apollinarius, who said Jesus wasn't really human. Or Nestorius, who said Jesus is kind of two people, kind of together, but not really. Eutychus, that the natures became merged and became married together and they weren't really divine, weren't really human. Just Google it, you'll see how much debate there was. So our forefathers went to Scripture and they tried to understand this and they formulated our confession. One of the places we see that so beautifully is in the Athanasian Creed. It's a creed we don't look at too often why don't we look at it this afternoon? Page 497 of your book of prayer. Keep in mind all those questions I asked you earlier about who the Son of God is and who Jesus Christ is. And hear what our forefathers responded. The Athanasian Creed is a creed that is, has two parts to it, really. The one is, is talking about the Trinity and explaining the Trinity second part deals with the Incarnation. So Article 29, at the bottom of that second column, you see there it says, It is necessary, however, to eternal salvation that he should also believe in the Incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the right faith is that we should believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is equally both God and man. He is God from the Father's substance, begotten before time. And he is man from his mother's substance, born in time. Perfect God, perfect man, composed of a human soul and human 
flesh, equal to the Father in respect of his divinity, less than the Father in respect of his humanity, who, although he is God and man, is nevertheless not two, but one Christ. He is one, however, not by the transformation of his divinity into flesh, but by the taking up of his humanity into God. One, certainly not by confusion of substance, but by oneness of person. Just as soul and flesh are one man, so God and man are one flesh. This wonderfully concise and incredibly compact confession of what happened in the Eucharist, of what is involved in the humiliation of the Son of God. In our confession, the Lord says, Lord, please speak the same way. We see that same language there. The eternal Son of God, that is the same Christ, and he says that who is and remains still an eternal God, didn't lose any of that. He took upon himself, his nature wasn't changed, he took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood wonders of our confession. We often take them for, for granted. But the thought that went into them as, as our forefathers struggled to express the wonder of what we have in Scripture. And even the Heidelberg Catechism, we, we still look at it as a pastoral confession. We see here the theological precision and the loaded language contained in that particular question and answer. what our confession says there when it looks at the humiliation of the Son of God is it said the Son of God didn't stop being God when he became Jesus Christ. He didn't stop. He didn't lose anything from his divinity. No, he took upon himself something more. He took upon himself our human nature. His humiliation was in that taking on of our human nature. And that's what we see in Philippians 2. What we see in Philippians 2 see in verses 6 and 7 as they, as they or 6 through 8 as they put those two things side by side. Paul says there, verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So what the Apostle Paul is saying there is even though the Lord Jesus Christ was God himself, fully divine, he didn't take hold of this he didn't take advantage of that, that, that word grasp, that the sense of that word. He didn't take advantage of it. That's what Jesus has happened to the human Christ, the divine. How could he grasp or take advantage of divinity if he did not have it? It would be something like me saying, well, when I got that ticket the other day, I didn't take advantage of being the Prime Minister of Canada. I was, was the Prime Minister of Canada. I really couldn't take advantage of it, could I? Jesus Christ had something. He had divinity. He did not take advantage of it when he became Jesus Christ. Instead, what the Apostle Paul says, he came to earth, verse 7, and made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He emptied himself, made himself nothing. He took on the form of a slave. He took on our human nature. He became one of us. Mary sees it clearly. The incarnation. He found himself in form of a human being. He couldn't find himself in the form of a human being. If he had always been a human being. Or if he had never been something else. No. The eternal Son of God, who was something else before, now found himself something he wasn't. He found himself a human being. And he embraced that. In fact, he embraced the weakness of it. He became a slave. He became nothing. The humiliation began with a conception and carried on to the cross. A few moments ago, we language and you wonder now how does that matter to my everyday life it seems like pretty dry stuff it's vitally important see only God has power to save us from our sins even if Jesus Christ was a human being and he was perfect and he made he had no sin he could only save himself Jesus Christ saves all of us. He saves all those who belong to him. He could only do that if he was God, and if he was fully God. And if he wasn't a human being, he couldn't save human beings. The human nature that sinned, that human nature needed to pay the price, and he paid that price. That's the gospel. If you don't have that, that's why our forefathers fought over this, fought to defend what they knew to be true. They fought to defend the true faith against those who would somehow make Christ less than he was. The Son of God took on himself our human nature. That human nature burdened down by the fall into sin, burdened down by weaknesses, Everything that you go through, all your pain, all your sorrow, he went through it all. He lived it. What we made ourselves in the fall, he made himself. But he is now defeated. What did Satan promise? He will be like God. He will be like God. And how did God save us? By sending his son to be like us. We sin because we wanted to be like God, and he saves us by sending his son to be like us. That's the wonder of the gospel, that we were saved by someone who did the opposite of what we wanted. The old way of Adam goes away in Christ. Paul says that Galatians 6.15, in Christ we're 
a new creation. We're remade. We're saved from our sins. We look to that once humiliated Son of God in heaven. We look to that once humiliated Son of God who is now exalted to the right hand of God the Father and who is there with our human nature. Do you understand that? That the one who stands at the right hand of the Father, who sits on the throne, he has a heart that pumps blood. He has fingers. He has arms. He's a human being like us. And he still is. He saves us and now he rules us. But he was humiliated to save us. So as you think about what the Son of God did, as you think about his humiliation, that he who was in very nature God would take advantage of that in order to empty himself and allow himself to become one of us. When you see that, when you think about the text of verses 1 to 6, see that. See that humiliation and rejoice in it. Wonder at it and rejoice in it. commentators on Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, complain about is that this passage is misused. What they say is that this passage is used to only speak about the real Christmas, Christ and about the incarnation. And they're right.
Corinthians and go to Ephesians. Son of God, the one through whom this universe was created, he made himself nothing. Aren't you fucking around in your assumption? You're doing something that the eternal Son of God didn't do. And it's just plain silly. Can you imagine living another way? When you keep that in your mind, if you keep that attitude of Jesus Christ in your mind, think about what the eternal Son of God did. Think about the Son of God being conceived and born to a poor family. Think of him suffering through his whole life, living in a world that was created through him, yet which was hostile to him, and yet going through it. Think about him on a cross. Think about him paying for our sins at the hands of the Father. Think about that when you look down on someone else. Think about that when you think you're better than someone else. Think about that when you bully someone get into a rage with someone. The eternal Son of God did that for you. The eternal Son of God did that. He made himself nothing. How could you be proud? How could you think anything of yourself? Put yourself above another person when you know that he did that. stand tall before him. A while back, there was a YouTube clip that was making the rounds via email and Facebook. There was a comedian named Brian Regan. Most people have seen it. In the clip, he was making fun of what he called meme monsters. righteousness. 
his workspace right here so he would in any of that. I want all of that. Even though I have more than any of you, I just want it to go away because all I want to do is boast in Christ. When we see Christ, we kind of have a thought, every knee marks to, has to disappear. Every boast has to fall away. Our only boast Boast. Stand before God and Him alone. 